Welcome to another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. And that he didn't really know what real love is. It had never been modeled to him by his evil father. And that to him, the kids were just another possession. And that if he couldn't have them, then nobody could. This is the story about Susan Cox and how she met a man named Josh Powell in November 2000 at a church function. And by the end of that year, they were engaged and they were married in April 2001. A lot of these facts are done by research. Some of the episodes you may have seen on Nightline 2020, but in today's episode, we're going to get the best insight that we could ever understand about a woman, and that is an interview with her best friend. When you listen to this interview, listen for the weird things that happened, because there's many of them. This guy always put his things first. He dominated conversations. He bought things that he wanted. Everything was about Josh and never about the family. This is a guy in his younger years growing up that tried to kill himself. But again, if you rush into a relationship, these are things that you may or may not find out before you end up marrying them. I've never been a fan of people that get engaged quickly within two to three months and get married quickly because it takes time to get to know somebody. And those feelings come from my family's personal experience with my older sister, Bev, who was engaged within three months. And in that eight month engagement, her life ended. And you want to know why it ended? Because we didn't know what we didn't know. And the warning signs were all there. And when Rich killed my sister, there's one thing we never said out loud. And that is this. I can't believe Rich did this. And when you hear the story today, you're going to hear the story about a lot of warning signs. These warning signs don't always mean that something violent will happen. But if you add them all together, if you look at the big picture about how many controlling, manipulative, and isolating incidents there were for Susan Powell, the warning signs were all there. And nobody should be surprised that she went missing. Shortly after Susan and Josh were married, they moved in with Stephen Powell, Josh's father. Again, you have to ask yourself, How much can you get to know your in-laws with such a short engagement? And in that time they lived there, Stephen Powell was caught videotaping Susan and making comments to her that were highly inappropriate. It appeared that Stephen too was in love with Susan. Soon after this, Josh and Susan moved out of state. And when they moved out of state, the main reason was because of Stephen Powell. Susan Cox Powell was smart enough to know she needed to distance herself and stay away from this evil man. Unfortunately, she was married to his evil son. My guest today is Kiersey Hallowell. Kiersey, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I am uh, sorry about your friend Susan 
And I kind of want to get into what the warning signs were. Obviously, there had to have been warning signs uh, with her husband, Josh. So first of all, when did you meet Susan? I met Susan in the spring of 2004. My husband and I had finished college in 2000. My husband had finished college in 2003. I had graduated a couple of years before that, but we bought a home in West Valley City, Utah, and we moved there in 2003. And we were, we had three little kids and we were finally done with school and with papers and homework and all of that stuff. And we wanted to have a social life. And so we started trying to meet people in our church congregation in our neighborhood. And in the spring of 2004, Josh and Susan Powell moved into their home, which was just on the next street over from our house. And they came to church one day and we went up and introduced ourselves and asked them where they were from. They said, Washington state. And we talked to them for a little while. And then we said, we'd love to have you guys come over sometime. That'd be fun. And they said, sure, that'd be great. And then we thought, uh, it's probably not going to happen because that's what everybody says, but all these young couples are just like us. Like we were, they're all busy. They all have lives. They're all still going to school. So we probably won't be able to hang out with them. And then the very next Sunday, Susan came up to me in church and she said, so is today good. And I stared at her and I was like, good for what? And she's like, you guys invited us over. Did you change your mind already? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And then she laughed and I was like, oh yeah, of course you guys want to come over. That's great. And so they came over after church and We played board games and talked and got to know each other. And at the end of the night, she said to us, well, we have never been friends with anyone who has kids before. So we'll give you guys a trial run and we'll see how it goes and see if this can work out. Awesome. Awesome. So obviously she had a little bit of sense of humor. I like that. Yeah, she did. She was so friendly and so outgoing and, and loved to laugh and have fun. Awesome. Awesome. Now, how long had they lived in Utah before you met them? That was their first week there, basically, in the spring of 2004. So right after they moved, they came to church, and that's when we met them. And did she ever tell you why they left Washington to move to Utah? She did, because we asked them right at the beginning, so what made you guys move to Utah? Just kind of a topic of conversation. And she originally told us, well, we were kind of managing this facility, and it didn't really work out too well, and we just wanted a change, and we wanted to come to Utah to be closer to Josh's sister, Jennifer Graves, hmm. and her family, and so we thought it would be really nice to have a change, and so we decided to come here, and then as I got to know her and got to be really good friends with her later, she told me that wasn't the entire real reason that they came, and she shared with, with me what the real reason was later. What was the real reason? The real reason that they moved to Utah is that Josh's father, Steve Powell, had a very disgusting, um, evil, sick, twisted fascination with Susan. He was in love with her. He was obsessed with her. And he wouldn't leave her alone and kept trying to get her to kiss him. And he he took secret pictures and videos of her, tried to get stick a mirror under the bathroom door and see what was going on. Um, they lived with him for a little while while they were trying to find another place to live in his dining room with a curtain across it. And that was their bedroom. And she caught him peeking in on her when she was trying to get dressed one day. And so she finally had enough. And she told Josh, we're going to get as far away from your dad as we can. And he is never going to step foot in our house in Utah. Wow. If he ever comes here, you can go talk and visit with him somewhere else because I'm not going to have his evil influence in my house. He is the devil incarnate. 
How long were you friends before she told you this dirty secret? I can't remember exactly, but it was at least a few months. It might've been a year or two. I can't remember, but I was pretty shocked. I just stared at her. I I had never, ever heard of a father-in-law hitting on his daughter-in-law like that before. Yeah. Uh, Did it make you look at Josh any different at that point? Well, I asked her, what, what does Josh do about this? Does he punch his dad? Does he throw him up against the wall and say, stay away from my wife? Don't ever touch her or talk to her like that again. And she kind of looked uncomfortable and she said, no, he'll, he'll have a couple of different reactions. He'll either say, oh, Susan, you just, you just misheard him. That's, I'm sure that's not what he really meant. Or he'll laugh and just say, oh, that's my dad. Just ignore him. Hmm. Did you find that to be a yellow flag? I just thought it was extremely strange, but by then we had gotten to know Josh better and we knew that he was very odd and very strange and not at all the kind of person we'd ever really known before. Huh. So kind of shocked it up to his strange behavior at first. Interesting. So let's go back to Josh. So you met them at church, you introduced them so- yourselves and you invited them over. Susan being totally outgoing is like, Hey, is today the day? Cause they're new in town. So you guys meet with them when they came to your house. Did you find Josh odd that very first time he was there? I think the very first day he was probably on his best behavior. I'm guessing that's what they do. That's what they do. I don't remember anything really standing out at first, the first few times we, we hung out with him. But within a few weeks, we had noticed that he liked talking a lot. He liked to monopolize every conversation. He liked all of the conversations to be whatever project he was obsessed with at the time and wasn't really interested in what anyone else was doing or what they had going on. And Susan would have to stop him sometimes and say, Josh, enough about your sprinkler system. We've heard about it for the, for weeks now. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> so he had a little bit of narcissism, would you say? Yeah, I'm, I think so. He, he was very obsessive and whatever thing he was obsessed with at the time that would like, usually last for months. That's all he wanted to talk about. Hmm. Did you ever get close to him? Were you ever like, did you ever consider like, hmm, you know, did you ever consider him a friend? Did your husband ever consider him a friend like you guys did with Susan? Yeah, we considered him a friend. Um, I wouldn't say a super, super close friend. And as time went on and he got more and more obnoxious and annoying, it was kind of like, well, we love Susan so much and we feel so sorry for her with how her life is going right now that we'll do anything we can to help her. And that includes inviting Josh over, even though he's so obnoxious. So okay. kind of put, putting up with Josh to be able to have the pleasure of Susan's friendship and company. So you and your husband talked about Josh and his odd behavior. Yeah. After we would be done with a, a game night or, or something or a movie night, they would leave. And he would sometimes, my husband would sometimes say to me, oh my goodness, he is so annoying and so hard to deal with. And we'd say, oh yeah. I mean, there was one time Josh had tons and tons of woodworking and power tools and he constantly borrowed stuff from us. He would borrow food. He would borrow movies. He would borrow lawnmowers. He would borrow all these things from us. And so my husband thought it would be okay to just ask him once, Hey Josh, could I use some of your power tools? Cause we're making our little boy, uh, play table to play with a little wooden train set. And Josh had to think about it for a while because he did not like to let anyone borrow his things. And finally he said, all right, I'll let you use some of my tools, but only if I'm there watching it every, every step of the way. And Mm. so he went to the store with my husband and it took 
three times longer than it would have if my husband had gone by himself to pick out the wood at the hardware store. And then it took them an entire day when it would have only taken my husband a couple of hours if he'd been able to do it by himself. And at the end of the day, he said to me, oh, that was not worth it. I should have found another way and borrowing his tools because all that came along with it wasn't worth it. So you got your husband got a glimpse of his controlling behavior. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that Josh was a good husband? I don't know how Josh was in the very beginning when he first married Susan, because I didn't know them then. Um, When they first moved to Utah, they seemed pretty affectionate. Like they would roll around on our couch sometimes and kiss and we'd say, hey, guys, get a room. This is our house. We'll do that at your own house and kind of laugh about it. So at the the first few months, Susan seemed pretty happy and Josh seemed fairly affectionate. And then after a while, that was so different and so altered that it seemed hard to believe that it ever happened. And when you would see them, no affection, no handholding, nothing like that. It changed. You mean, you mean later on? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. It got to the point where Josh wouldn't even touch her. He wouldn't hold her hand. He wouldn't put his arm around her. He did you notice? Say, did you notice oh. or did she say something? She talked about it a lot. And to me, and I also noticed he would, he would say, I can't kiss you. You have germs. I might get sick and just wouldn't even hold their hand. Did so you mentioned these power tools and different things that that Josh had. Did he have a lot of gadgets? Josh was very fond of buying expensive things for himself, but wasn't willing to let Susan buy even uh, basic groceries for the family for the week. Mm, so, so he he would got, he went and got, took out a credit card in her name and bought all these supplies to finish their unfinished basement. And those supplies just sat there for years in the basement, never got touched. Hmm. Susan kept her job. She held a nice job and she provided for the family a lot. Is that correct? Yes. After she had her first son, Charlie, she wanted so badly to be a mom and she was so happy to be having a baby. And she was thrilled to be able to stay home with him. But within a short time, Josh wasn't keeping jobs. He would He would quit or get fired and he would say, I just can't stand having someone tell me what to do. I want to be my own boss. And so then he decided he was going to be a realtor. And so he got certified as a realtor. And then he took out a hundred thousand dollar loan for ads put on the backs of phone books. And when Susan told me, I just stared at her and I said, why did you let him do that? You guys cannot ever pay that back unless he became Utah's best-selling realtor and sold tons of houses. And I think we both know that's probably not going to happen. And, and she just looked at me and she said, I couldn't stop him. There's nothing I could do to stop him. And, and whenever we asked him, Josh, what are you going to do if you don't sell houses and can't pay that loan back? Those payments are huge. And he just laughed and goes, oh, I'll just declare bankruptcy. No big deal. It's easy. I've put off my student loan for years and years and I keep deferring it. So I'm sure I can just easily declare bankruptcy. There won't be any problem. So he was very aware at how to manipulate the system. He already had it. He already had his failure plan, basically. Yeah. He had an easy way out. Didn't, didn't stop to consult anyone else. He just charged ahead with his plan. He did what he wanted to do. Yep. All right. Uh, did Susan buy him a lot of his gadgets, his electronics, computers, all the little toys that he had? Was she a big contributor in that? No, Susan didn't buy him any of those things. He usually bought them without without her approval, without her, without even consulting her. If they did talk about it and she expressed any kind of, Hey, we, we need to be buying groceries instead or clothes for kids or something. He'd 
just shut her down and just charge ahead and say he was doing it. For example, they had a minivan and then they had um, a small car. He decided to sell the second car because he said it was using too much gas and too much money to maintain it, even though it was a small little thing that cost much less than a minivan. And so she decided that without a car, because of course Josh got the remaining car to go to work, that she was going to have to ride her bike to work. And I looked it up on the map just now because I've always thought seven miles was the distance, but it's actually 7.9 miles from her house to where she worked. And it was on an, an extremely busy road in West Valley City that didn't have a bike lane. And she would be riding it usually in the early morning in the dark. And all these semi-trucks and other vehicles just whizzing past her in the dark. And we were, her friends and um, were constantly worried about her life and telling her, you're going to get killed. Someone's going to hit you. They're not going to be able to see you. This isn't good. You need to stop. And so finally she, because we backed her up and told her so much, you got to stop doing this. She told Josh, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's not safe. So then he went out and spent another 5,000, probably in another loan, I'm guessing, and bought himself an electric bike that would help him do all the pedaling to his work. After doing that once or twice, he decided it was way too hard. He wasn't going to do that. So let me go back to one of my questions. I asked you, did Susan buy him his gadgets and his toys? What I was referencing, though, was she really was the breadwinner for the family because he couldn't really hold down a consistent job. So basically, he controlled the money, which a lot of it was her income, and he went out and bought himself what he wanted. Is that how you looked at it? Yes. At the time she disappeared, he did have a job working for a company, but he had all the access to their bank accounts and she didn't spend anything without him telling her she could for the last, at least a couple of years before she disappeared. She had to have permission to spend the money. Basically. Yes. He would. So the grocery ads that come in the mail every week, he would look at them and he'd say, all right, this store has this item on sale. So go there and get tomato sauce. This other store has bread on sale. So go there and get bread. And he would tell her, this is exactly what you can buy and what stores you can buy it at. And here's how much money you have for the week. And he'd give her like $25 for the family for the week, for all four of them. Did she tell you this? She told me this in the summer of 2008, which was the worst time in their marriage that I knew about. I knew things had been steadily getting worse and worse since Josh had started talking to his father, Steve every single week, his dad would call and they would talk for hours. And that was when all their problems started really, really getting worse. Because every okay. time he got off the phone with his father, he would be angry, he'd be argumentative, he'd be rude and criticize Susan and tear her down. And she would say to him, Josh, your dad tells you things on purpose to try to break us up. Because in his evil twisted mind, he thinks that if we're divorced, that he can have me all to himself. Josh's dad, Steve, empowered him on these calls. Yeah, Steve, whatever he did, whatever his twisted plan was, every time he'd get off two or three hour phone calls, Josh would, and he would be so mean to Susan and just just awful to her, like worse than the rest of the week and things just kept going downhill. And so in the summer of 2008, she called me up one night and she was extremely upset. And she said, I need you to come over right now. And so I said, okay, are you all right? And she said, no, I'm not okay. And so she asked me to come immediately. So I dropped what I was doing, left my kids with my husband and ran over there. And she was more upset than I've ever seen her. She was pacing the floor. She said that they just had the worst fight of their marriage. And she handed me a, like a stenographer's notebook. And she said, I know you can write fast 
I want you to take notes and I'm going to, and then type it up. And then I'm going to stop at your house later and get it from you and keep it at my work. Cause I want a record of this. And then she spent, went pace back and forth and told me about this awful fight that they had. And I felt somewhat responsible for it because in a way, because I had begged and pleaded with her to get her own bank account and put her paycheck in her bank account so that he didn't have control over it. I said, he isn't earning the money. He's spending whatever you get on whatever he wants. And you don't even have enough to feed your family. She would call up and ask if she could borrow a couple of hot dogs to feed her kids. And I would immediately say, come over right now. I will cook you guys dinner. I, I can't believe this. And so I urged her to go to a divorce lawyer that summer I urged her to get her own bank account and put her money into it and not let Josh have access to it. And she did that at first. And then he was of course, really upset and weaseled, weaseled his way back into giving him access to her account again. And back at that time, 2008, at that time, she now had a second child. Is that correct? Yes. She had two sons. Okay. Uh, And did you fill your husband in on all this? He was pretty aware of their relationship and how toxic it was. Yes, my husband knew everything. So fast forward, obviously it's escalating and you being a good friend and doing what good friends should do, you're trying to empower her. You're trying to get her to stand on her own two feet and you encourage her to go to a a divorce attorney. Is that correct? Yes. I, I saw how miserable she was. I saw that things weren't getting better. They were only getting worse. And I got extremely worried about all of these strange things, like the loans he would take out and the credit that he took out in her name. He would tell her, every time we go to any place and buy anything, you have to take all the receipts and scan them into the computer. And we have to have a record of everything. But he wouldn't let her use the computer for anything else, only for that. All all of the things he did, like we gave them a lawnmower for their very small patch of grass because we got one that was a little bit bigger to mow our, our lawn, which was a lot bigger and they were using it and it was great. And then one day Susan called me up and she said, can I borrow your lawnmower? The weeds are pretty high. And I was furious for one thing that Josh was making her mow the grass because she worked really hard five days a week. She took care of the kids all the time. She cooked everything. She cleaned everything in the house. And now he's making her mow the lawn too. And I said, what happened to the one we gave you? Is it broken or something? And she goes, oh, Josh sold that because he said that it was using too much gas. And it was, it was a small little thing. It probably used maybe less than a gallon a year to mow their tiny little patch of grass. And so he had gotten an old fashioned push mower that didn't have a motor on it and was trying to make her use that. So I saw all these things and I said to her, you know, normally I would not tell someone to get divorced, but in your case, I think you don't have any other choice. You need to get out. Things are not going to get better. He's treating you horribly and you deserve to be happy. And so she did go see a divorce lawyer and he advised her to videotape everything in the house and have a record of all their possessions. So if it came to a divorce and Josh tried to hide his expensive power tools or any of the other things that she'd have a record of everything they owned. So she did that. And then she came over and hid the tape at our house. So Josh wouldn't find it. And then the next morning she knocked on our window at five in the morning on her way to ride her bike to work. And I got up and gave her the tape and she rode off to work and kept it at, at her work or at her safe deposit box. And so she did see that divorce lawyer, but she she told me, she said, I've been thinking about it. I've been praying about it. I want to be happy. I don't want to be miserable like this, but I am very afraid that if I leave and divorce him, that he will kidnap the kids and I will never see them again Hmm. because he has told me you will never get the kids 
if we ever got divorced, you'll never get the kids unless it's over my dead body. So he intimidated her. Yep. He used the kids as a weapon in that way. And also things like he knew that her faith was very important to her. And when they married, she thought that he was strong and faithful and in our religion too. But after talking to his dad on the phone and things getting worse and worse, he quit going to church and he quit supporting her with any of her um, religious choices. He wouldn't read scriptures with her or anything. And he would tell the kids on Sunday mornings as she was rushing around trying to get the, the two little boys ready for church. Do you want to go to boring, boring church with mommy? Or do you want to stay home and eat cake with daddy? Wouldn't that be so much more fun? And I can guarantee you, it's not that he wanted to play with the kids. It's that he wanted to hurt her with something that meant so much to her, like raising her children and the faith that she believed in so strongly. Yes. Yes. How do you think Josh was as a father? What did you witness? I witnessed, um, while she was pregnant, I, with her first child, I saw the, this bird that they had, they had a, I think it was a parrot or no, it was a macaw or something like that. Some kind of tropical bird. And he was very affectionate with the bird. And so I would say to Susan, I'm kind of worried about Josh as a dad. I don't know how he's going to be. And she'd say, well, I think he'll be a good dad because he's, he's really good with our birds. So it'll, it'll probably be like a, you know, a parenting instinct that'll come out and he'll, he'll be good with it. But I found out later after she disappeared that he couldn't even get off his computer while she was in labor. And that Susan's dad had to say to him, Josh, your wife is having a baby, get over here and hold her hand. And it seemed to me whenever I was around them that he was acting like a good dad around people. Like he really wanted to show the kids off. Look how smart my kids are. Look how much they know about science. Look what I've taught them about bugs. But it seemed that after, after a while, I started to really think of, of him as somebody who wasn't really capable of real love and that he didn't really know what real love is. It had never been modeled to him by his evil father. And that to him, the kids were just another possession and that if he couldn't have them, then nobody could. And he didn't want Susan to have them if it ever came to a divorce. Yeah. They were a tool to him. Yep, exactly. Just like anything else. Like he wouldn't lend, lend people things and he wouldn't let anyone have his kids either. This episode is the first of two parts that talks about this relationship. And if you know this story, you know that it doesn't end well. But in the next episode, we will talk about the 24 hours leading up to the moment where Susan Powell goes missing. These warning signs over a period of time all played a role that this relationship and Susan Powell was heading into one direction, and that being a point of no return. I want to thank my guest today, Kiersey Hellowell, who'll be joining me in the very next episode for sharing her insight and the things that her best friend Susan confided with her in. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me in another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.